Welcome to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint Podcast with your host, Brad Johnson. Brad's the VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel, the largest independent insurance brokerage company in the U.S. He's also a regular contributor to Investment News, The Wall Street Journal, and other industry publications. Thanks for joining. My name is Brad Johnson, and I'm the VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel. In each episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint Podcast, it's my goal to distill the best ideas and advice from top thought leaders and apply it to the world of independent financial advising. This episode is a special one, as it was actually a private video conference I hosted for my clients with my friend Michael Hyatt. I decided to release it as a bonus episode for you all because Michael's content was that good. He also extended, as a special favor, an early bird offer for his goal-setting course to all the Blueprint listeners as well. It can be found at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash best year ever. For those of you who aren't familiar with Michael, he's a New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and USA Today bestselling author. He's also the former CEO of one of the top publishing companies in the U.S. In this conversation, he breaks down his framework for achieving big results and explains how he created his goal-setting system, Five Days to Your Best Year Ever. One of the reasons I wanted to share this process with my clients is that it's the exact goal-setting framework I've used the last two years, and I can't speak highly enough of it. Most of us think about setting goals as this torturous process where you have to sit down and just basically beat your head against your desk. Therefore, we just flat out don't do it. Michael's process is intuitive and streamlined, essentially the exact opposite of the frustration I've experienced with setting goals in the past. With about a half day blocked in his process, I'm able to lay out my goals for the upcoming year and most importantly, stick to them. So you'll want to grab something to write with as Michael shares some incredible wisdom on how to accomplish those wildly important goals for 2017. Here are just a few of the highlights of my conversation with Michael. We start with how Michael invented his goal setting framework and why it's important to design your year. And then we have a quick rundown of his five steps. Day one, thinking big and opening up to the possibility of what next year could be. Day two, the key to acknowledging your past that allows you to move forward. Day three, designing the future by deciding what you want from it. Day four, how to use your why to power through the messy middle. Day five, how to take action and focus on what matters. Along the way, we have a few side conversations you don't want to miss. What Michael learned from his time with Dan Sullivan of Strategic Coach and The Gap versus The Gain, why good goals should make you uncomfortable, setting the right amount of goals so you can actually do them, and why keeping goals visible is the key. All right, so I want to get to this conversation. And once again, for those of you who want to check out Michael's goal-setting framework, Five Days to Your Best Year Ever, he's opened up early bird pricing for all the Elite Advisor Blueprint listeners. You can find it in the show notes at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash best year ever. Also, full disclosure, 100% of all proceeds I make from sales of Michael's goal-setting course will be donated to our annual March Madness charity event, so you can feel extra good about crushing your 2017 and helping an awesome cause. As always, the show notes will include links to all the other resources, books mentioned, everything else we cover. So without further delay, thanks for listening and my conversation with Michael Hyatt. Welcome, everyone, to this month's version of the Elite Advisor Blueprint podcast. We are coming to you live today for the first time in a while. My good friend, Michael Hyatt, decided to do a, a huge favor here, carve out an hour of his time to join us live. So welcome, Michael, to the show. Thanks, Brad. Good to be back with you again. Yes, we were just chatting before we went live here. I've gotten to know him well over the last couple of years, but for those of you that have maybe just followed via his log, incredibly generous guy. Just had my wife, Sarah, and I out to Blackberry Farm for the last week for a marriage retreat. And your good friend, if that wasn't enough, you also brought in your good friend, Ian Cron. Am I saying his last name? You are. Yeah, that's right. So uh, who went through his new book, The Enneagram, with all of us as spouses and just an incredible few days there, Michael. So thank you again. I'll just do it publicly here as we get started. You're welcome, Brad. My pleasure. So with that in mind, the whole point for today, I know we did this at the end of last year. And one of the big things as you know, 2017 is right around the corner here. And one of the things that's been huge for me the last two years is I've used Michael's framework, five days to your best year ever as a goal setting course to not only set my goals, but actually reach some of them as well. And so what Michael's agreed to do is to really give us Instead of five days to your best year ever, really 
one hour overview of five days to your best year ever with the thought process that everybody can take something from it here today. And then we'll have some special things as far as an early bird offer and everything that we make available to to all of you for, for joining in today. So with that in mind, Michael, what I would like to do is just hop right in if that works for you. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So let's give them maybe an overview. Five days to your best year ever does not necessarily have to take five days. So can you give us kind of a notes version of what it looks like and again, a little bit there? Yeah. Well, this was a practice that I began back probably 1999, 2000, where I took that week between Christmas and New Year's to really plan out the next year. And by that time, I had realized that work wasn't everything, that there were some other areas of my life that I wanted to grow and to enhance and really realize my potential, things like my health and my marriage and my parenting and my hobbies and my recreation and my intellectual growth and so forth. So I would set goals and I I typically took an hour a day for five days. So I did specific things and over time, it got very specific what I did on each day. And so at one point, my daughter, Megan, whom you know, who runs my business came to me and she said, dad, I think we ought to do a master class for one of our membership sites on that topic. And then another friend of mine, a business partner, Stu McLaren said, no, 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 I think this is a course. And I was like, what? I mean, this is like something I I do. I take it for granted. And so we did it. And we had several thousand students in it the first year. I think by now, we've been doing it for, this will be our fourth year. We've had 20,000 students go through the course. And basically, the idea behind it, the premise, is that most of us don't drift to a great year. You know, you've got to have some intention about it. And you can design it. And there's a specific architecture or a framework that you can use to try to beat your last year. Now, why is that important? Because I I talk to some guys and they say, you know, honestly, I'm tired of being on the hamster wheel and just always striving for more. To me, it's not about getting more stuff, but it's about becoming more of who I'm designed to be. And for me, that takes goals and it takes stretching myself. And I always love to do that because a different part of me has to show up to try to solve the problem of how am I going to get there and even beat last year and make it better than the year before. So that's kind of the premise behind the program. Perfect. So I failed completely because this is a live version. And so let me go ahead and throw this out there for all of you advisors that are on the call. One of the benefits to having Michael live here is he's here live so we can ask him questions. So Brady's here riding shotgun with me. So for those of you that have questions as Michael goes through this framework, go ahead and feed those through the chat down there at the bottom and we'll moderate these as we go along. So without any other delay, let's, can we give an overview of those five days, Michael, and then dive into each one separately? Yep. So day one is really about opening yourself up to the possibility that this next year, 2017, for you guys that are on this call, it's a blank slate or to think of it another way, it's a white canvas. It hasn't been painted on yet. Nothing's been determined. You know, there's probably some things that are in motion already. Maybe you've got some things planned for 2017, but to open yourself up to the possibility that it could be different. It could be an extraordinary year, or it could be another version of the same year you had this last year, but it's up to you. So that's day one. And I'm going to give you the high level overview. Day two is really about completing the past. And I'm not talking about a deep dive into your childhood. You know, this is not psychotherapy, but just looking at this last year and asking yourself some important questions about it. What I've discovered, Brad, is that if we don't complete the past, then we have a tendency to let it shape our future. We drag it into the future, and then it pops up in unhealthy ways. And then day three is really about designing your future and just taking each of the domains of life. And it's not just work. Hopefully, people that are listening to this know that life is more than work. But I think, unfortunately, for many of us, we apply what we know about designing the future to work, and it never occurs to us to apply it to the other areas of our life. So that's what day three is about. Day four, which is one of my favorites, is all about getting in touch with your key motivations. Why are these goals that you set on day three, why are they important? What's at stake? What do you get if you accomplish it? What do you not get or if you fail to accomplish it? And then day five is all about make it happen. How can I get a game plan, an action plan to actually realize these goals so they're more than just something I you know, put it in a notebook and then file away and don't look at until next year. And that's the principal difference 
between a goal and a resolution because resolutions, as we all know, people don't achieve them typically. Mm -hmm. Well, let's dive into day one. So when you say believe in the possibility, what's the framework to where you start to get your mind wrapped around that concept? You know, it's amazing to me, Brad, with the people I talk to, how many people think they're really, and I, and I hate to say this so, so, uh, so harsh, but they're like a victim. The future is kind of determined. They're almost fatalistic about the future. You know, they've got this job or they've got this business. They've got this family. They've got the health and the genes they've been dealt. You know, so all the cards have been dealt and they kind of give up what I would refer to as their agency, their ability to impact the outcome. And so what this is about, this first day is about rediscovering that agency that we have more power than we think we do, you know, because the alternative to that is just to be the victim. You know, it's kind of like right now, at least the United States, I don't know how many people are on this internationally, but tomorrow's a big day in the States because we have a huge election. And it's been a very difficult time, I think, in our nation's history. Probably not the only time this has happened. But I think a lot of people feel like things are outside of their control. And if you watch news, you know, whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, it just feels like, oh, my gosh, there's so much outside of my control. And there have been a lot of studies that have been done in the last several months showing this is actually creating anxiety in people, you know, where people are just they have a pessimistic view about the future. Some people. But here's the thing. And this is this is a lesson I learned from Dr. Stephen Covey. And that is there's your circle of concern, which is all this stuff. Mm hmm. There's your circle of influence or your circle of control, the stuff that you can actually impact. And so often we give our best energy, our best thinking, our best resources to our circle of concern, things that we have very limited ability to impact. Yes, I can vote. You know, maybe I can put a yard sign out. Maybe I can campaign if I'm really enthusiastic. But our lives, you know, the things that are near and dear to us, our own priorities, our own health our families, our businesses, our impact in the world, that's inside the circle of control or inside the circle of influence. And so day one is really about opening ourselves up to that possibility that in large part, 2017 is going to be the year that you want it to be. Now, you may default, you may be unconscious. We were hearing about this last week in the marriage retreat, kind of going through life in a trance. Mm -hmm. And it just becomes another version of what you had this last year Maybe your results are incrementally better in your business than they were last year, but your marriage may be pretty much the same. Maybe you're drifting a little bit apart and it's not as intimate or as close as it was last year, or maybe your health is incrementally deteriorating. But my own position is, or my own conviction is that if you're not advancing, if you're not growing in each of these areas, you're probably sliding backward. So just getting aware to that and then confronting your limiting beliefs about the future too. Mm -hmm. What I like about day one is the fact that you don't, everything's still on the table. Yep. Right? You, you don't necessarily have to put yourself in a box of, you know, I've never run a marathon before, therefore I cannot run a yep. marathon. It's really opening up the horizon to, to what could it be if I was just living in a dream world for a little bit. Yeah. Well, and these, this limiting beliefs thing, we do a lot around limiting beliefs because these are the things that often hold us back. And so I tell this story I have in previous years, and I, I did again this year, we reshoot the content every single year. So it's all, it's video and it's workbook and some stuff. I told this story about this English setter that I used to own named Nelson. And at the time we didn't have a fence around our yard. And so this is a real problem because we live in downtown Franklin, Tennessee in a historic district on a very busy street. So I didn't want the dog to get out and get run over. So we finally invested in an invisible fence. And that's a really interesting technology. Some people think mistakenly that it's not humane, but what happens is that the dog wears a special collar and you sink a wire around the perimeter of your house. So when the dog approaches that, he'll get a audible sound and you can also change it so that he also gets a, a vibration. So it's not a shock, it's just a vibration. But it's amazing. It didn't take long to train him. And it got to the point where we could turn the fence off and he still wouldn't go across the boundary. Even if my grandkids were on the other side of the boundary, tempting him with treats, he would go right up to the boundary and he would stop. So it occurred to me, where is the invisible fence? If it's not turned on, where is it? I'll tell you where it is. It's in his head. 
Mm. Right. And that's where most people's boundaries are, where their limits are. They're in their head. And so we have all kinds of boundaries like this. You know, it comes to our health. We think I hear this all the time. People say, well, I'm really too old. Or they say, I'm maybe too young. I don't have time to give attention to that. Or, you know, this is just my body type. It's just kind of a given. You know, I'm kind of destined to be fat. I got the fat gene, whatever. Or when it comes to their marriage, you know, they think, well, you know, unfortunately, I didn't marry someone that is as compatible as I thought. There's so much different than I am that there's no way we can ever experience the kind of intimacy that we had when we were dating or when we first got married. Those are limiting beliefs. And it can also happen in your business. You know, you think all clients suck. They're just high maintenance. I mean, I don't know what it, what, what it would be in, in your particular industry. Or we can't get ahead in the current economy. Or the tax structure is going to be so different that there's no way to win. But these are all limiting beliefs. There may be some reality out there, but I would just challenge people to ask themselves the question, does the fence exist out there or is it in here somewhere? And is that what's holding me back? Mm. A lot of truth to that. It's amazing. We did this a few years back. We do a big event called the World Series of Sales and it's every January and it's, it's really an award ceremony, but it's also uh, what can this next year be? Mm. And the theme from a couple of years ago was dream big. And we had this massive dream big sign, right? And everybody was supposed to write their dream on it. And it's amazing how many of some of our, our most successful advisors, you go back a couple of years because we actually kept this, right? And they wrote a dream on there that was incredibly big at the time. And now that it's in the rear view mirror, they ran right through it. <laughs> and, Love that. And so um, it's a little bit, I don't know if we want to bust out the Dan Sullivan gap versus gain at this part in the conversation, but I think there's a ton to the whole concept of, you know, a lot of times people measure what they didn't hit versus, wow, you grew your business 75%, even if you missed your goal right. a bit. Yeah. Is well, this a good time for that? Or Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about this because actually let's go to day two and talk about that Okay. because I think it really fits into this whole framework of completing the past. Okay. Day so, two. Do it. You, once you open yourself up to the possibility that this next year could be different, substantially different, and it begins with an intention, once you confront the limiting beliefs that are holding you back, we actually go through an exercise where people write those down and then they add to it or contradict it with what I call a liberating truth. You know, if that's the limiting belief, what's really the truth? And so to write that down. And then on day two, we talk about completing the past. And I take people through a series of eight questions, things like, you know, what were the disappointments from last year? Let, let's just be honest. Let's get it out there. Let's not try to, you know, gloss over it. But let's be honest. What were the disappointments last year? What were the things that you wish you had been acknowledged for but weren't, you know, maybe nobody noticed and you're a little miffed about it or you're disappointed or you just wonder what's the, what's the use. So we go through a series of questions like that, including by the way, what were your biggest accomplishments for this last year? What were the lessons that you don't want to forget? You know, if you had to boil it down to a movie theme for last year, what was the movie theme? So all those kinds of things we talk about on day two, but I think apropos to that day, let's, let's do talk about Dan Sullivan's concept of the gap versus the gain. So I'm sure a lot of people on this call are familiar with Dan Sullivan, but Dan is a coach. He has a company called Strategic Coach. I'm part of his program. But a concept that I got two years ago from him that was brand new to me, that was huge for me, was the concept of the gap versus the gain. And it goes like this. Dan says that when you're planning the future, you want to measure the gap. In other words, you've got a goal out there that's on the horizon. And at some point, you have to acknowledge where you are, and there's a gap, right? There's a gap between where you are and ultimately where you want to be. And it occurs, again, in all areas of your life. It may be a, a gap in your weight, what you weigh now versus what you'd like to weigh then. It may be a gap of where your business is versus where you'd like it to be at the end of 2017. That's the gap. Now, the problem is, for high achievers especially, and I consider myself one, it's, one, it's my top strength, but it can also be a liability that if I get up close to that goal, but don't actually achieve it, then I still am focused on the gap. So I literally had a conversation with somebody in my office this morning who had hit 90% of their goal that they had that was just due. And, and I mean, this person was just beating themselves up because they had missed the goal by 10%. And I said, but where were you last year? 
you know, you've had like a 50% improvement over last year. Let's talk about that. That's the game. So you measure the gap as you look forward. But then when the deadline comes and goes, then you turn around. And, and by the way, you got to acknowledge the gap. You know, if you missed it, you missed it. Okay. But the question is, where are you going to dwell? Where are you going to camp out? And so I said, said to her, I said, now it's time to look backwards and measure the gain. How far have you come? And let's celebrate that. Because what happens is, and this is Dan's insight, not my, but when we focus on the gap, particularly as entrepreneurs or as business leaders, it dings our confidence, right? So you're thinking, oh, I can never hit a goal. Is this whole goal setting thing even worthwhile? When we measure the gain, then we can celebrate that and it builds our confidence so that we go forward to the next year upping our goals. I'll give you a good example. So my number one goal for 2016 was to get my book, Living Forward, on the New York Times bestseller list. So, and I wanted to get it on the list by, I think it was April the 30th. So the book hit the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. It hit the USA Today bestseller list. And it hit the Publishers Weekly bestseller list. It did not hit the New York Times bestseller list. So I could say I failed at that goal. You know, I'm just defeated. I'll never set that goal again. What was I thinking? You know, I was, what was I smoking? Or I could say, like I did say, especially to my team that worked so hard to make that happen, I said, look, here's the deal. Here's reality. Yes, we didn't meet the goal, okay? But if we had not been shooting for that goal, we would not have achieved these other goals of the USA Today bestseller list, Wall Street Journal bestseller list, Publishers Weekly. So we fell a little bit short. Truth was, we saw the book scan numbers. We had enough to make it on the list. But for whatever reason, the people at the New York Times didn't put it on the list, and that's their prerogative. It's their list. But you see the difference that makes. I could kind of be all deflated and discouraged that I didn't make the New York Times list, or I could say, no, I made three other really important lists and helped a ton of people in the process. That's the difference between the gap and the gain. Does that make sense? Completely. Ron Carson was a guest earlier this year, and he had a great analogy. He talked about Ted Williams being the greatest baseball player in baseball, and he got on base four out of 10 times, right? Yeah. And so I think that a lot of that can apply to goal setting is if you set some really great goals and you don't hit them all, just the process of moving towards those goals still taking you much further past where you are today. Yeah. So, and I'll tell you what, Brad, this is, this is critically important for people that lead teams. I've been on teams before, and you probably have too, where the leader was totally in the gap all the time. So I was on, on teams where we came so close to meeting our goal. I mean, we set a big goal, and we came so close to meeting it, and we missed it, and we got beat up for missing it. Now, think about this. All of the people listening to this are smart people, but we can do some really dumb things. When you do that, what happens to your salespeople or any of your people when they set the goal the next year? They start sandbagging, right? Because they just say, wow, you know, I had this huge gain. I missed the goal by a little bit. I didn't get acknowledged for it. And I'm not going to do that again because evidently the way to win in this organization is set a lower goal and then achieve that. And that never brings out anything good in people. People don't have to grow. The organization doesn't grow. I mean, if you're satisfied with incremental growth, a little bit of growth, you know, every year, fine, do it that way. But that's not what I'm after. I'm after breakthrough results. And that's only going to happen if you get focused on measuring the gain. There's some incredible insight right there. You can, based on how you run your team, you can actually lose from them hitting goals more frequently than not hitting them. Yeah. Just based on not acknowledging that gap right there, because they're going to set smaller goals just to get that, you know, be able to check it off the list for lack of a better term. Yeah. Well, I had like this gal I was talking about that had 90% of her goal. She was really dejected. I mean, I could tell she was just kind of like on the edge of tears. I mean, I gave her a big hug and I said, you need to exercise some self-compassion here. Look what you did. I was like, I, I had to shake her a little bit. You get, look what you did. I mean, you have the choice of what you're going to focus on. And I was working out with my trainer. I've got to have a talk with him. I've got a great trainer, but he will always point out what I'm doing wrong when I'm lifting. Have you ever had somebody like that? Oh, yes. You know, and so it's like, you know, hold your stomach in. You know, you got to rotate your arms more, whatever it is. And so I'm going to have a talk with him about this because I think there's a strength-based fitness training 
that would be better, be more helpful to me if he would say to me, that looked great. I loved what you did with your biceps there or whatever. Mm-hmm. But just to focus on the gain, that motivates me to strive for something even bigger. But if I get the feeling that I can never do it right, I can never make dad happy. You know, it's almost like that parenting kind of thing. I can never make that person happy. People will stop trying. And the problem is, as a leader, you're usually the last to know because they'll build an elaborate rationale, an entire worldview, an entire set of limiting beliefs that will explain why they can't get you more than 2% growth next year. Mm -hmm. And it all has to do with the psychology of the culture that you've created as the leader, not the objective reality. So true. Well, side note, if you ever want to come work out in Silver Lake, Kansas, my gym is always open. There's no membership fee. Just let me know when you're going to show up. It's open. All right. (laughs) Okay, good. Uh, We'll keep it positive. All right. First question coming in from Garrett. Do you take time with your team for sharing your big picture goal planning, how you celebrate great results? Yes. Two part question there. Okay. So we do probably like a lot of organizations, we do a strategic planning retreat. Ours is coming up in a couple of weeks right before Thanksgiving. So we'll, we'll go off. Actually, I think it's three days this year. We'll, so we'll go off for strategic planning and we'll actually go through the same exact framework of the five days. So we'll talk about the possibility of this next year. We'll confront the limiting beliefs that we have. We'll complete the past. We'll design the future, find our motivation, and then create action plans to make it happen. So we're going to go through that with the team. So yes. And it's a good reminder to all of us of what's important in the planning framework. Then in addition to that, once a month, when we get together, we get really focused. My team's all remote. So I've got 20 plus people in all kinds of remote locations, most of them in the Nashville area, but not centralized in an office. So we get together once a month at my house for a cocktail party and dinner, heavy hors d'oeuvres. And the first thing we do is we talk about what did we accomplish this last month? So we're immediately in the game, you know, so if it was the launch of a product or it was a certain promotion or it was a new initiative that we were implementing, we celebrate that first. And then I, as the leader, stand up and articulate kind of what the focus is for the next month and what it is we're trying to achieve. So that we're in the gap. We're talking about next month. Here's where we were last, you know, the same month last year, perhaps, it's a sales goal. And here's what we want to accomplish this year. But when I'm looking back on celebrating the wins from the last month, totally focused on the game. Mm, Perfect. All right. We're warming up here. Justin from North Carolina. How do you structure habit forming goals that don't ever really end such as work out five times this week, rather than a goal with an end date, like write a book by this date, Justin actually completed. He, he did best year ever this year. And so that was his challenge this year in the framework. Yeah. So now the framework includes two kinds of goals, outcome-based goals, which we're all familiar with, where you have a milestone, a date that, for example, drives the goal with a specific outcome that you're trying to achieve. And then we have something called habit goals, which don't really have an end date, but they have a start date. And they're also measurable and they're measurable in some kind of increment. So like I want to do strength training three times a week, beginning on January the 1st would be a good habit goal. So yeah, I think realize sometimes the habit goal can be a means to an end. Like let's say, for example, I had an outcome-based goal that I wanted to write a book and I wanted to write it by a certain date. Well, maybe one of my sub goals under that would be that I'm going to write 500 words every other day or 500 words a day until I get there. So that's a habit goal in the service of an outcome-based goal. But sometimes the habit goal can be an end in itself. So for me, I suppose there's a sense in which strength training or cardio are just kind of overall wellness. But, you know, sometimes people have an aspiration of becoming more healthy. But what that really is, there may not be an easy way to measure that other than to take some habit goals that you want to install into your life and observe forever. Mm -hmm. Or putting an outcome-based goal on that habit goal, such as, you know, I want to get my body fat percentage down to... 10% and it's going to take this activity leading up to that. Yep. I think though recognizing that there are two different kinds gives you some freedom to say, which of these really motivates me the most, Mm -hmm. you know, cause I like one year I wanted to get the best shape of my life. And the thing that was really motivating me that year was that I wanted to run a half marathon, which I'd never done before. So I didn't even think about the fact that 
I'm going to have to get on a training program. And I mean, it just kind of happened based on that outcome goal. I set up a training program for myself, but I wasn't really thinking of habits. But there are other things where focusing on the habit can actually yield the result. It's just a question where you want to focus. Mm -hmm. Well, let's keep rolling here. I know we've got a lot of content. So are we good on day two to move to day three? Yep, I think so. So then day three is all about designing the future. And this is really about goal setting, as most people understand it. So in a sense, this is more formal goal setting, but we've taken two days to get there. And we've taken two important days to set up this day. One of the things that I point out in this day is that if you just write down the goal, and if you never look at it again, if you just write down the goal, you have a 42% better chance of achieving it than if you don't. And this is based on some research from Dr. Gail Matthews at Dominican University in California. And so she found that that, that one variable alone increased your chances of achieving the goal by 42%. Now, I think it's because you get clear on your intention and you get focused on it. So, you know, some people, I, I ask people when I go out public speaking and I'm talking on this topic, I say, how many of you believe in the power of goal setting? And if you're with a bunch of high achievers, CEOs or whatever, every hand goes up. And then I say, okay, now, how many of you, and be honest, how many of you have a written set of goals for this year? And people are kind of like, you know, they're trying to decide if they do or they don't, but usually about 10% of the hands go up. People believe in it, but they don't do it. Mm -hmm. They don't actually go to the effort to write it down. I don't think if they, if they think maybe they're too smart to do that or that's too rudimentary for them to follow. But I'm telling you, there's huge power in writing down your goals. First of all, first and foremost, it forces you to get clear on what you want. And this is where, I mean, you, you're dealing with financial advisors. And my guess is that that's a huge part of the process. Somebody comes into your practice and you ask them, well, what do you want? Well, they don't really know. I mean, you have to walk them through a process to get clarity on what it is they want on their money, which is pretty objective and, you know, but it involves all this other stuff that they have to get clear on. So writing it down gives you clarity and clarity is power. So to write down, you know, sure, you'd like to have better health, right? You'd like to have a better marriage. You like a business that's growing. You want increasing net worth. But to get specific, to write it down specifically what you're after in this next year is critically important. Now, then in addition to that, I use a framework that most people are familiar with. Everybody's heard of SMART goals, right? Specific, measurable, attainable, and all that. But I have a framework called SMARTER, which includes specific, measurable, actionable. It's what I do for the A. You'll see a little variation depending on who's teaching this. Realistic, time-bound, exciting, and then finally, relevant. Hmm. Now, let me deal with the E and the R at the end of SMART. Because again, let me just give those to people again. Specific, measurable, actionable. And by that, I mean, you can't use a to be verb. Like a bad ex example would be, you know, I want to be more consistent in prospecting. Instead, it needs to be actionable. Begin with a verb. Like you're going to contact 10 people a week, whatever. Mm -hmm. Then realistic, and here I talk about the comfort zone. We probably ought to come back and talk about that in a second. And then time-bound, and then exciting and relevant. So let's talk about exciting and relevant. A lot of times put, people write down goals because they feel like they have an obligation or a duty to write down a goal. They don't really care about it. They're not passionate about it. They don't get any energy around it. They're just writing it down because, you know, maybe their their boss or their wife, or their trainer, or somebody said, you need to have a goal. And it's got to be personally exciting to you. If the goal is not compelling, and we'll see this in day four, if the goal is not compelling to you, the likelihood of you achieving it is going to be remote. In fact, let me just go back and talk about this whole thing about realistic. Sometimes people, they want to set a realistic goal. And by that, what they're really saying to you is that they want it inside of their comfort zone. So maybe last year they got, I'm just making this up, it's going to be different by industry, but let's just say they got 10% growth over the previous year. So 2016 is going to get them 
better growth on the top line over the last year, 2015. So they think, okay, I know how to do that because I just did it. So I don't want to get out there too far. I still want to be in the comfort zone. So this next year, I'm going to see if I can do 10% again. Or maybe I got the low-hanging fruit. I don't even think 10% is possible. So I'm going to ratchet that down to 6%. Or maybe I'll go 11%, but it's all incremental, right? So the comfort zone is one way to do it. And the characteristic of the comfort zone, how you know you're in a comfort zone, is you don't feel any fear. You don't really have a lot of doubt around it. You're pretty confident that you have what it takes to accomplish it. Okay. Now, you might be tempted to set a goal there, but all the research I've seen, and I covered the research specifically in Best Year Ever, says that, that if you set a goal in the comfort zone, the likelihood of achieving it is going to be diminished dramatically. Why? Because it's not compelling. You know, it's just like, it's forgettable. You know, every now and then when you meet with somebody that's holding you accountable, you, you kind of remember it, but there's nothing about it that ignites your passion. So what I suggest is that people set their goals in the discomfort zone. And there's a third zone, which is the delusional zone. Okay, so I'm not advocating for the delusional zone. I'm saying going up to the edge of that and dial it back a couple clicks. But so for me, an example of the delusional zone would be, I think, you know, I'm a fair golfer. I think with a little work, maybe I could be on the senior tour. I think that's probably in the delusional zone to think that I could find the time to do that in this time of my life or that I really have the talent. I don't think so. I'm not, I'm not going to play in the NBA. I'm probably not going to perform at Carnegie hall, you know, singing a vocal solo. You know, those are just, that's the delusional zone, but the discomfort zone is where the magic happens. In fact, that's where all the great things happen. Think about it in your business. When you kind of go out there on a flyer, you're passionate about something and it really works. Or even when you're married, in your marriage, when you choose to be vulnerable and courageous, to have a difficult conversation with a teenager, or you look at your own health, when you do something, you're going, whoo, I don't know if I can do that or not. But the three markers of being in the discomfort zone is that you feel fear, first of all. It's got to scare you a little bit, like there's got to be the possibility that it might not happen. So for me, that goal of hitting the New York Times list, that definitely was in my discomfort zone. I've done it twice before, but I'm thinking to myself, there's nothing guaranteed. I might not hit this. And in fact, I didn't. So I had some fear about that. Like even to set that goal, I thought, man, it would be a whole lot easier not to set this goal. So it's got to be a little fear. There's got to be some uncertainty. So here's what I mean by uncertainty. If you don't know how to achieve the goal when you first set it, that's perfect. That's uncertainty. Okay, so like you set a goal and, and somebody on your team says, that's nuts. How are we going to do that? The answer to that as a leader is, I have no idea. All I know is that it's uncertain and that gets me excited. And I know that we're going to have to grow as a team to actually achieve it. We're going to have to find a way. It's going to cause expansion of our thinking. It's going to cause us to tap into new resources. It's going to create something that causes us to grow both as individuals and as a team. So uncertainty. The third marker that you're looking for is doubt. And here's how that one shows up. I don't know if I've got what it takes to achieve this. Like when I was running my first half marathon, I've never run that far in my life. I don't know if I could run. I, I might die of a heart attack. I'm not sure I've got what it takes. Or when we said in my company, my sales goals for this year, I thought, man, I don't know if I've got what it takes to lead the company at this level. So it's much more self-focused. And let me tell you something about high achievers. Every high achiever I know feels that kind of doubt. The only people that don't feel that are usually narcissists and people are just, for whatever reason, overly confident. But I like feeling a little doubt. So rather than those negative emotions turning you off and making you dial back the goal, so that you pull it back into the comfort zone. I use those three as indicators that I'm exactly in zone two, which is where I want to be. It's like, okay, because this is going to make, and to tie it back to where I started, this is going to make for an exciting goal. One that captures my imagination, one that keeps me motivated and focused all year long. So that's what I mean by exciting. That's awesome. Thanks for digging in there because that's some really, really important stuff. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's been always a challenge coaching financial advisors. How do you know when the goal is at a level where it's high enough 
yeah pushing them but still not disheartening where they don't feel like they can ever get there i heard another another guy he sets goals it's a coin flip right so i'm setting this goal and if i do all the work it's 50 50 maybe and yeah. so i like the comfort zone analogy there for the sake of time i know we still want to keep going here so is that good on day three or do we want to no it's good on day three I, the only okay. thing i was going to say on relevant is just that it needs to be appropriate to your season of life. And there are certain things, you know, like if, like if I had to go, I had to go one year that I was going to really improve my golf game dramatically. I was going to take lessons and all that stuff. Well, that wouldn't have been appropriate when I had small kids at home, you know, it just wasn't a season of life for me. So I think you've got to be attuned to that. Is this the right season for that particular goal? So it's just a good check mark. I, I like the season analogy. We, we've obviously dug into that the last couple of years with in our small group, you know, if you're a startup company to think that you're going to just work 40 hours a week, probably not a relevant goal there. Right. So knowing that, Hey, this is the season where it's going to take a few more hours. I'm getting this thing up off the ground to where I can yep. dial that back in later years. So that's a good conversation to have with your spouse too, so that you're on the same page. So your spouse doesn't resent the fact that you're putting in those extra hours, but that you're, you get aligned around the goal. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so that's good. I think on design your year, which is day three. Day four is about finding your why. My wife says it this way, when people lose their why, they lose their way. And I think it's true. You know, when the why is the gas that keeps us going. Inevitably, in the pursuit of any goal, there comes a time when you hit what I call the messy middle. And the messy middle is when you've got too much invested to quit, but you're not sure you've got the resources or the strength or what it takes to finish. This happens in everything. I remember when I was writing my next to the last book, I had a contract for it. Publisher paid me a lot of money to write it. And I got really busy and I was having a real hard time making progress. And I got the first draft done and I looked at it and I went, this sucks. And the book went on to be a New York Times bestseller, but at that moment, it just felt like all was lost. Well, here was the problem. It was, it was the messy middle. I was discouraged. I didn't want to continue. I didn't, I didn't know if I could write a better draft, but I had too much invested to stop, but I wasn't sure I had what it took to finish it. All I had to do was reconnect, and thankfully, I had written a bunch of why statements as to what was at stake. So I'd written about seven or eight why statements as to why that goal was important for me. For starters, I really wanted to help a lot of people build a platform. That was my book platform. And for others, I I wanted it to credential me on that topic so that I would get speaking invitations and so that it would open up new business. So I went through and listed those motivational statements that really helped me kind of tease out or unpack what was at stake. What happens if I don't write this book? What happens if I do write this book positively? And so day four is all about that, getting in touch with your key motivations so that when you hit the messy middle, which you inevitably do in any goal that's in the discomfort zone, that you'll have what it takes to keep pressing on. You know, I mean, you, you, you look at where the Cubs were, right, in the World Series. What were they, they down? It was like three to one. Three to one, yeah. Yeah, and it's just like, It'd be real easy for them to think this is lost. There's too much of a gap. We can't come back and win. But somehow they figured it out, you know, or to see where they were going into that 10th inning. And they had that discussion in the locker room about remembering who they were, you know, and that's a, that's a kind of a motivational talk about, again, what's at stake? Why is this important? And so if you can identify those when the goal is the most present to you, which is when you're setting it, then it'll serve you later on. Mm -hmm. That to me is, I don't want to pick a day and say it's the most important day of your five, (laughs) but to me that the why on all of those is so important because what's interesting is I've gone through this process the last two years because of that why either one, it makes it really clear that this is an important goal I want to stick to or actually give yourself permission that, you know what, I set this goal at the beginning of the year and you know what, my motivations really aren't there like they were and give yourself permission to cross it off and say, you know, don't worry about this the whole rest of the year because I'm not hitting this goal. Do you want to speak to that? I know we've had that before. 
Yeah, this is really important because a lot of times people will get to the messy middle and they'll just, they'll feel guilty if they cross off the goal. They're not quite sure what to do. They get stuck. And so I've tried to reduce it to a set of three possibilities when you get to the messy middle and you're stuck. One is, and these are in descending order of priority. Number one is if possible, recommit. So in other words, look at the goal, look at where you are, look at those motivations that you articulated when you set the goal and say, do these still resonate? Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. If they do awesome, recommit to the goal, get Jack back up and do like the Cubs come through in the 10th inning and win the game. But there's another possibility and that's to revise the goal. So recommit. If you can't do that, then revise. So when you set the goal and you know, it's probably going to be December or so when you set the goal, when you set the goal, you know, you're kind of seeing through a glass darkly. You don't, you don't really know all the stuff you're going to know six months from now. So maybe new information has come in into play. Maybe the season of your life has changed. Maybe there's been something you didn't plan on that's interrupted your life. You know, God forbid, death in the family or a sickness or the sale of a business or whatever. So suddenly that goal is no longer relevant in its current form. You can revise it. This is your game. You know, there's not somebody that at the end of 2017 is going to pull out your original goals and say, well, let's just see how you did, you know, and grade you. No, it's your game. Nobody's going to be evaluating you, but yourself. So if you can't recommit, revise. And if you can't revise, remove. This is like the last option, but it's totally legit. And sometimes the best thing you can do for a goal that's like, constantly wearing you down and you know you're not going to achieve, get it off your goal list. So I don't have an algorithm to tell you how to judge which of those three you should employ. I think it's more art than science, but just know that you have those options. And besides, this is a game or a design that you've created. You can employ whatever makes sense for you in the time. And if you don't get it quite right, it's okay. You know, this is an ongoing game. I play this game every year. Better year than the last year. My best year ever. Mm -hmm. So you get a chance to do it next year. And you'll be smarter when you do it. It's amazing just the clarity. Just from writing it down to the why. It, which I'm going to throw this out there too. Because this this was maybe this will be this might be this year's best year ever. I don't know. But one thing that really helped me. Actually, another Ron Carson reference. He mentioned on the call we did. One of the ways he keeps his goals in front of him. And to continue to motivate him. Kind of that why factor is he, he laminates them and puts them in a shower. And for me, I know I've got them on my phone. I know I'm supposed to check them once a week, you know, kind of reevaluate, but there's nothing better than just you get in the shower. They're right there. You have no distractions whatsoever. Right. And to right. me, that's, that's been a huge thing because even if I'm not consciously setting time on my calendar on the weekend to check in, they're right there where I'm checking in daily, at least at a high level. Right. Perfect. So that, that was a big why. I guess going back to the why factor, I've had a couple this year that you know weren't necessarily, I should have actually probably put a Sharpie through them in the shower. <laughs> they, they still bug me, but I think that's another way, whatever it takes, whether it's on your computer monitor, where they can just be in front of you, I think that's key to the why factor because- I do too. Uh, because I think there's a lot of people that set goals and then they just shove them in a drawer and hide them somewhere and then forget to check them until the end of the year. Yeah, we did some research this year because I said like we have 20,000 students that have gone through this. So we've been able to do a lot of research. I don't know anybody else that has the kind of research base that we have, but we found that the number one reason why people fail to hit their goals is they lose visibility. Mm. So they do what you said. They stuff them in a drawer. They forget about them. So we talk a lot about how to keep them visible. I love the shower idea because in the shower, you're relaxed. And when you're relaxed, stuff can seep into your subconscious. That's where most the creativity happens when we're relaxed. There, it could be out on the golf course. It could be a number of different places. But when you're resting like that or when you're relaxed, some of your most important best work gets done. So I, I love that idea. Awesome. Well, day five, right? Yeah, day five. I cannot believe how fast this is going. Okay. So day five, make it happen. You know, it's great to set the goals, but eventually you got to work the plan. It's all about execution. So a couple things about execution. I talk about a lot of things about execution on day five, but here's a couple things. One is we highly recommend that you don't set 
you, you said between seven and 10 goals, no more than 10. Seven's even better. But this is a critical thing. And this also came from research from our database. First of all, visibility was the number one reason people didn't accomplish their goals. The number two reason people didn't accomplish their goals is because they set too many goals. And as a result of that, they lost focus. And I like to quote that ancient Chinese proverb that says, man who chases two rabbits catches neither. And so setting too many goals will hurt you. What we say is to, is to do seven to 10, but no more than two or three per quarter. So here's how to not set a, a set of goals is set seven to 10 goals and have them all due on December the 31st, 2017. That doesn't work. That is a recipe for not hitting the goals and giving up on goal setting. So there ought to be some that you're doing for Q1, some for Q2, some for Q3, some for Q4. A book that's really influenced us, and I know it's influenced you, Brad, is The Four Disciplines of Execution. And they talk about your wildly important goals, no more than about two goals per quarter. So that's what we found is really helpful. I, I give a little exception. You can go three, but just to really focus on a, a couple. The other thing I, I do too is I don't get real elaborate in the action plans. And here's what some people do. They spend an inordinate amount of time framing up a detailed action plan, which by the way, is really important if you're building a nuclear submarine but it's probably not important for most of the goals that you and I are setting. Now, if you can think of some ideas and they come to you, great. Put them in whatever task management system or goal setting system that you're using. But the really most, the most important thing you need to know is what do I need to do next? What's the next thing I need to do? Because usually if a goal where you're uncertain of the path, right, in the discomfort zone, you're not gonna see the beginning to the end anyway. So the most important thing to do is to stake, take a step in the direction of the goal. And it's, it's like walking through a forest at night with a flashlight. You're not going to be able to see the destination, although you may have one, but you see enough to take the next step, maybe the next two or three steps. So this is where I also unfurl this acronym on day five called START. Schedule the action required today. So as I'm looking at my goals, what is it I can do today and what can I put on my calendar to actually move me in the direction of that goal? So schedule the action required today. Start. As it turns out, starting is the most important part of achieving your goal. That could be the best acronym for a goal-setting course ever. <laughs> Whoever came up with that, give them a raise. Yeah, I came up with that, actually. In the shower, Very by the nice. way. So the most important thing to do is start. If people won't start, and a lot of times they won't start because they're afraid, Right. And so one of the most important things about starting is that it dissipates fear. So you make that first phone call. I keep using a book analogy, but that's what I do. So writing a book, as you know, because you're in that process now, it's scary to think about writing a 50,000 word manuscript. Oh my gosh. You know, I, I didn't write even papers in college that were anywhere close to that length. How could I write a 50,000 word manuscript? So for me, and by the way, this is where I, a lot of goal setting people say, you know, eat the frog first, do the most difficult thing first. I actually encourage people to do the exact opposite. And here's why. I think when you do the easiest thing first, and it's provided it's not procrastination, okay? So that, that one proviso. But if, if you do the, most, the easiest thing first and build momentum, then you can tackle the most difficult thing. Give you an example. Whenever I write a book, I always start with the easiest chapter first. I don't write fiction, so it doesn't have to be sequential, but I write nonfiction. So of all those 12 chapters that I did in my last book, I said, which is the one that's going to be easiest to write? Banged it out. It was pretty easy. Then I said, okay, what's the next chapter that's going to be the next easiest? I did that one. I left that big, gnarly, ugly chapter till last, the one I didn't want to write. But now I had 11 chapters under my belt. Do you think I'm going to let that 12th chapter stand in the way of me finishing? Heck no. You know, I had the momentum. I had a head of steam and I knocked it out. In fact, I did that last chapter in one day because I had the momentum. Now, if I had started with that chapter, I may have never finished that book because I wouldn't have the confidence. I wouldn't have the momentum and I wasn't in the groove. So I just, I say to people in day five, what's the next thing you can do? The easiest next step you can take to start turning this into a reality. 
that was another big key and it's not rocket science. That's what I love about it. It was, you set a big goal of write a book. What's your next step? Right. And so for me, yeah. it really chunked it down because that's just, uh, I'll give an example here since we're, we have a bunch of financial advisors listening in here. The good example there would be in our business. A lot of times, let's say a guy captured 10 million of assets last year. They might say, I want to do 20 million next year. Right. And it's this big gnarly number, as you stated, kind of like the big goal of writing a book. Well, what's the next step? The next step in our scenario is, well, how many new clients did you bring on per week when you did 10? Right. And so now if we just do some simple math, I need to double that number new clients per week to do 20, all else being the same. Right. And so what's interesting is when you take those really, really big goals, which as you said, are in the discomfort zone, it's so important that you now really chunk it down to that next step because then it can actually start to get attainable and seem achievable. And so without that step, I don't think any of the rest of this matters. And so that's, that's so key that you have that in there. Yeah, that's good. You know, there is a sense in which to accomplish the goal that's in the discomfort zone, you're bringing a bite-sized piece into the comfort zone Mm. so that you can keep the forward momentum. That's a good example though. I love it. Well, we have three minutes and that was a great summary. You fit that all into an hour. That's impressive. Thank you. Well, a good interviewer. You did great. <sighs> well, I appreciate it. I'm working on it. I've, I had a good network of people to help me this year. So let's end with a couple questions if that works for you, Michael. Yep. Let's do it. All right. What is the best business advice you've ever received? The best business advice I've ever received is coaching helps you go further faster. If there's anything you're trying to do, you've got the choice of trying to figure it out on your own, or I like hiring somebody. Now it could be reading a book, listening to a podcast, getting the advice of a friend, joining a mastermind, but I just hire a, hire a coach. You know, when I started learning to fly fish, I never went fly fishing without a guide. Training, personal training, marriage, whatever. Well, I'm, I'm going to bust out one of your quotes because this was a life changer for me. And it was, it was around, you could use it for a, a personal trainer. You could use it for a psychiatrist, whatever you want to use it for. But you said it's the healthy people that ask for help, not the yes. unhealthy people. And yeah. I think as a, as a guy with an ego, like most of us have, I think females are much better at this than we are. We just hate to ask for help. We and, do. And it's amazing how when you do, that thing that would have taken you six months to do all of a sudden takes like two weeks. Just simple things. Marriage is a good example. You know, because guys don't want to go to marriage counseling. They, sit, they feel like somehow it's failure. That's like a guy that says, I won't go to a financial advisor. I, gotta, I can figure this out on my own. How much easier is it to go to a financial advisor? You can cut years off the learning curve. Same thing with marital counseling. The only people that go get counseling are people that want a really healthy marriage and they're healthy enough to realize they could use some help. Hmm. Yeah, completely agree. We might not have enough time for this, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. Do you, have a, <laughs> do you have a morning routine? And if so, can you walk through it? Yes, I'll try to make this fast. So I get up at 5 a.m. every morning. First thing I do, and just honest, I mean, I, I read the Bible, I pray, I journal, and I meditate. And then I hit the gym. So that, that first part of that process, again, and this is my season of life, it's not everybody's season, takes me about an hour. Then I hit the gym for an hour. Then I come home, eat breakfast, shower, get into the office. That's pretty fast. Yeah, it's about nine. Yeah, it's about nine. I get in the office at about nine. Cool. All right. Last one. Okay. Thank you so, so much. This is, it's always awesome, but you always blow the expectations out of the water. So oh, I appreciate thanks, that. Brad. What is the one piece of advice that you can share with everyone joining us here today that's led to your success? Uh, this sounds so cliche maybe even cheeky, but be a lifelong learner. My dad was the best example of this. My dad at 82 today is still learning. You know, he's always got books. He's got a new hobby. He's got something he's learning. But I think just being curious and being hungry and being willing to learn and being inquisitive, that's been the secret to my success. And you truly are a lifelong learner. I've seen seen that firsthand the last couple of years. So Thank you. I I appreciate it because a lot of it's rubbed off on me. So I'm a better person because of it. You're a great learner. I love that about you. 
Well, I read a lot more books since hanging out with you, so I appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> so, well, Michael, this has been awesome. I know everybody listening in that, that either watch this live or will hear it via the podcast is going to benefit. So thank you so much for carving out some time to join us here today. You're welcome, Brad. Privileged to do it. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening. For more about the podcast or about the Elite Advisor Blueprint, be sure to visit bradj.net. The information and opinions contained herein are provided by third parties and have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed by Advisors Excel. The guest speaker is not affiliated with or sponsored by Advisors Excel for financial professional use only, not to be used with the general public or in a sales situation. 